So we're diving back into 1 Thessalonians, and we're getting back to a bit normal of a night. I mentioned last week, uh, if you missed it, we're calling these like separate nights like we did last week a sea night, which is like a night where we pause, we take a break from whatever we're doing, and we focus on one of our three C's, the, the C's of our uh, mission statement, to be uh, centered on Christ, committed to discipleship, confident in the Word of God. And last week we worked on being confident in the Word of God. Like we spent actual time, um, look, we, we spent a little bit of time in uh, 1 Thessalonians, but we looked mostly at what God's Word says about God's Word. Right? What does it say God's Word is? And then we broke into groups and we had some like really practical discuss- discussion like do you highlight your Bible? How do you highlight it? Like, how do you get the most out of your Bible reading? Do you have any tips on plans and devotions and stuff like that? Um, I wasn't in all the discussions, obviously, but um, I pray that it was a, a fruitful night for you. Like, that's my prayer is that nights like last week and the ones that we have coming up are nights that help you just sort of like get a solid foundation um, and maybe open your eyes up to like different things that you can be doing. You know, I know I got to have some discussions about different ways to mark my Bible and different ways to be reading. Um, and it's also good to have discussions like, hey, it's okay to just like open it and do this or something like that. So hopefully that was super helpful for you. Like I said, that's our prayer. Um, and like I said, in a few weeks, we're going to have that, that next C night. And that C night will be committed to discipleship. That's that outreach event I was just talking about. So that's committed to discipleship and we'll be focused on outreach. And that's going to be like the kickoff to a part of our ministry, which will be f- taking outreach and discipleship uh, very seriously. Um, because discipleship is something we do take seriously, and it's something we've talked a lot about so far, right? Like, we have thrown around the word discipleship a lot. I've discussed what discipleship is. A couple weeks ago, we spent, like, a whole night talking about um, the message was called When Discipling Others, and it was things that uh, you should feel, right? Things you should feel towards others, things that you should do when you're thinking about discipling others. And we looked at Paul's model of it, because that's who wrote 1 Thessalonians, right? We're looking at Paul and what he's done. And now we're going to be back there again tonight. We're going to be back looking at Paul's model, and we're talking about discipleship, but we're doing a little bit different of a focus tonight. We're not just going to be talking about how you should feel when discipling. We're not going to be talking about what you should do when uh, being a discipler. We're going to talk about who you should be as a discipler, like your actual attributes, the things that people would describe you as, because that's the traits that we see in Paul in 1 Thessalonians. So we're actually going to be talking about things that you would want people to describe you as when it comes to being a discipler. And that's in this like next chunk of scripture. And when I say chunk of scripture, I mean like chunk of scripture. We're going to be uh, spending two weeks in this like little focus here, and we're going to go over a chapter and like three or four verses. So like a whole chapter, we're going to be just sort of focusing on this theme as we go through it. All of chapter three, a little bit more of that. And like I said, it's a two-part message, and it's called um, A Discipler Is. That's what we're doing. We're focusing on finishing the statement to that, finishing the, the, the um, sentence, right? A discipler is. But let's take a moment as we're diving into this and talk about why is it important? Like, why should you care about discipleship? Why is that something you should concern yourself with? And there's like a lot of little nuances that I could discuss about why you should care. But the best way for me to wrap it up and sum it up 
is in a very general answer, but also the most important answer. And you should care about discipleship because Jesus did. That's like the most broad statement I give you, but we can, we can break it down into a few different ways. Like Jesus cared about discipleship, one, uh, because he cared enough to model it. And Jesus cared enough to actually model discipleship by taking in 12 men, pouring his life into them, his heart out to them. He lived life with them day to day. He taught them. He fed them. He loved them. Like Jesus cared enough about discipleship to model it in his day-to-day life in his ministry. And that's what we see when we read the Gospels. Jesus modeling discipleship itself, what it looks like to be a discipler. But it's not just that he modeled it. Jesus also commanded it. We've already talked this year about the Great Commission. Jesus said, go, make disciples of all the nations. Jesus actually commanded that we would be disciples uh, who make disciples as well. So Jesus modeled it. He commanded it. And I think the last one that we often overlook is that Jesus intended it. Like, look how all of our lives are shaped. And I don't mean like just you individually. Look at how life in general is shaped. Look at every single society on earth, every, every single one of them. Look at how it functions. You'll notice in every single one of those that discipleship is literally everything in society and culture. All of you have had parents, right? If you're born, you had parents. All of you had parents, and what have those parents taught you? whether it be your actual parents or step-parents, they taught you how to walk, how to talk, how to interact with the world. That's called discipleship. They taught you how to do certain things because they knew how to do them. But it doesn't just stop there. A lot of you are in college. Who teaches your college classes? Professors. What's the big deal about professors? They know what they're talking about. They've, li- hopefully, if you go to a good school, they've, they've lived what they're talking about, right? And the most respected professors are the ones that have been there, and they take you under their wing and show you how to get there. We see it all the time. I remember, like, my biggest influence in college was my advisor, who taught me how to think critically about the text, and taught me how to argue it, and discuss it, and be able to present to people what I see in it. Like, she taught me all those things. She discipled me in that. But it's also in careers. I mean, you see it in everything from mechanics to, I mean, literally any job. You start a job, and there is somebody who knows the ropes that's showing you how to handle the ropes. Brittany and I had an electrician in our house yesterday, and who did he have with him? An apprentice. Somebody that is literally following him around and learning how to do what he does and learn to become a full-fledged electrician that has apprentices for other people. Like, discipleship is everywhere in our culture, literally in everything. And when I say that Jesus intended it, I mean that because Jesus created it. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the sustainer. 
says that in Colossians. He's the creator and sustainer of the world. So if it functions that way, it's because Jesus has created it to function that way. I'm talking like from animals that learn from parents and uh, the, the culture around them and like the herd mentality to like us who learn from our siblings and our parents and our professionals and co-workers. Like everything revolves around discipleship because Jesus intended for all of life to revolve around discipleship. So that's why it's important to us, okay? Jesus um, modeled it. Jesus commanded it. And Jesus intended for it to be so. So even if you weren't a Christian, you could see that discipleship is everywhere. But the thing that we are blessed with as Christians is to know the ultimate discipleship. To know that all of that is meant to lead to one discipleship. The discipleship of becoming more like Christ, of knowing Christ, of being conformed to his image, of being redeemed to God. Like that is the ultimate discipleship that we can be a part of. So you're stuck with it, okay? Like there is no getting out of it. Inside the church, out of the church, you are stuck with discipleship. The question is, are you going to be someone that's defined as a discipler? Are you going to be defined as somebody who takes discipleship seriously? who actually looks at that, looks at you, and can see these qualities about you. Because that's what Paul models here. And that's what we're going to be doing, is modeling Paul. So, that's why the message is called A Discipler Is. This is part one, and we're going to dive into 1 Thessalonians now. So if you have your Bibles, feel free. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 17. And I'm going to do what I did last week, and I'm just going to read it and sort of talk about it as I read along so we can sort of stay in the flow of thought. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, then go back and talk about it. We'll read and break it down so we can stay in the text and see that it's the word of God. So in here, 2.17, Paul, he's in the middle of talking about these afflictions, the, the persecution that the Thessalonians are going through. It's the things that they've been suffering, right? They've been suffering this persecution because of their beliefs. And it's in the middle of being persecuted for their faith that Paul tells them what's been going on in his heart and mind this whole time. What's been going on in Paul's life. That's what he relays to them. And in verse 17, he says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So what we see from this is a discipler is eager. A discipler is eager, and I mean like eager for relationship, if you want to add that, that qualifier on there. Like a discipler is eager, meaning they're eager to see others. They're eager to be with others. And we've, we've talked about this before. I've said it, like, you can't hate people and be a discipler. Those two cannot live in the same person. You cannot dislike people in general and also be a discipler. It's not possible. You can't find displeasure in people and also say that you disciple people. Can you imagine what it would have been like if Jesus didn't like people. 
If Jesus didn't like the, the guys that he was discipling, do you think Jesus would have been an effective discipler if he had a disdain for the guys around him? He wouldn't have. Now, I'm not always saying that discipleship has to be this like happy-go-lucky, I always love this person all the time, I feel great about them type of thing. Like, no, discipleship relationships, they also have some tension to them. They can have some really hard and awkward moments. I mentioned Jesus just a second ago, and one of the greatest examples we see of like some tension in a discipleship relationship is Jesus and Peter. Like Jesus and Peter, uh, they had their moments. Like there's this moment in the Gospels, Matthew 16, where uh, Peter pulls Jesus aside after Jesus has been like, hey, by the way, I'm going to die. I'm going to go die for you. Okay, they're going to take me and it's going to be a thing. And Peter like pulls Jesus aside and he's like, hey, we're not going to let that happen to you, man. Like we're, we're not going to let you die. Like he starts correcting Jesus and Jesus turns back around and he, it says he rebuked him and he literally calls him Satan. And not in a joking manner. Like, Jesus calls Peter Satan, the evil one, the tempter, the opposite of all that God stands for. Literally, God made flesh calling somebody the opposite of God. You don't want Jesus calling you Satan. It's not a great moment there. And can't you imagine how awkward that would be? Like, imagine if... if you were meeting with one of our leaders on like a weekly basis, or you're meeting with me, and we have this discussion, and I literally call you evil itself, and I mean it. I, I tell you that you are the opposite of what God wants. You are the opposite of what God plans, that you are literally going against God himself, and that's your heart. Do you think you and I would have a really great moment together in that spot? I don't think so. But those moments are okay. They're acceptable. Because discipleship is about the eagerness to be with each other. And Jesus modeled what it was like to have those moments and still be eager to be with somebody. I said that moment was in Matthew 16. Well, in Matthew 17, just a chapter later, Jesus reveals his glory to Peter up on a mountain. I mean, Jesus takes his relationship with Peter to a new level. He takes it to the next step. Jesus, even though they had those awkward moments, those hard moments, he was still eager to share his life and who he was with Peter. Jesus modeled that amazingly, of what it meant to disciple somebody, to not always be happy with them, but to always be eager to share life with them. That's what... Jesus did. That's what Jesus modeled, and that's what Paul models here as well. So I need to ask, are you eager to share yourself with others? Like, even when that relationship can be really awkward and hard sometimes, are you willing and are you eager? Do you desire to live life with them? And if the answer is no, if you're not eager to share your life with others, if you would rather be secluded if you would rather be unknown, if you would rather have a relationship of convenience rather than caring, like if that's you right now, then I pray that 
you are asking the question, how can I change that? I pray that that is in your heart and that's what God is doing right now, that you would be asking, how can I become eager? How can I get to that spot? How can the Lord change my heart and not just my actions? And I, I can't answer that question completely for you. I can give you a couple practicals, okay? One, pray. Pray, pray, pray. You have not because you ask not, is what scripture says. If you want to be eager, that's a godly thing, to be eager for others, to be sharing life with them. Ask God for it. If it's a godly thing, that means God gives it. Ask him. Start there. Pray. Seek him. And two, I'd say change your influences. Change what you allow to shape you. Change what you allow to influence and impact your life. I mean, nowadays we do a really great job letting things like Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat have way too large of a priority in our life. We do a really good job letting people that are really popular and going viral have a major influence on what we think and what we believe and what we focus on. We let memes and news outlets and celebrities and movies and TV shows shape our minds in a way that we don't even let God shape our mind. So if you want to be eager for a relationship with others, why don't you start by putting down the phone and picking up the Bible? Why don't you start by praying to the Lord, reading about Jesus, learning from Jesus, and seeking him in a way that he can actually begin to influence you more than you let everything else in your life influence you. If you actually want to do that, that's where you're going to start. That's not where you're going to end. And everybody looks a little different, but that's a good starting point right there. And I'll tell you, it's a lifelong process. So today, like I told you, Brittany and I are buying a house. And today I was like, oh, I'll take Calvin to the house because we were running an errand. It's like, I'll take Calvin to the house and I'll show it to him. And like we're turning the corner onto our house's neighborhood. And all of a sudden I see this like brand new piece of concrete over in the far corner, like by the park. It's like right by our house. I'm like, what is that? So I like, I literally put the car in park. I'm like, Calvin, we're going for a walk. And we go outside and we walk and the new house has this park in the back, like the city lot, completely empty, tons of trees and grass. It's gorgeous. And they put a golf, a frisbee golf course right in the middle of it in like the last two days. And I mean, Calvin will tell you, I might have been a little upset at first. Like, I'm pretty sure I said no like 18 times, just like trying to comprehend. And what, and what was I having an issue with? I was having an issue with the fact that all of a sudden there would be people closer to my house that there would be people I would have to interact with and see, and they would be within 100 feet of my house all of a sudden when I thought I had all this seclusion. I wasn't eager at the thought of being able to have some kind of influence or relationship with others around me. And so the Lord made me eat my words when I knew I was gonna be preaching this tonight and then put me in a situation in which I was gonna to have to learn to be eager about being in a relationship with some randos that are playing frisbee golf pretty much in my backyard, right? So it's a lifelong process and it happens in multiple layers and the Lord will always bring those things up to you. So, but in general, what you can see from that verse is that a discipler is eager, all right? So let's, uh, let's keep on diving into it. Um, verse 19, now I'll tell you, at, 
verse 18 there, it mentions Satan. We're going to get back to that, right? We'll come back to talking about Satan hindering and stuff. Paul has a theme of that. We'll come back to that, I promise. It'll be a bit later on. But let's start in verse 19. Paul says he's eager to see them. Satan would hinder them. And then he says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. So I, I talked about this when I kicked off this series. The reason the Thessalonians are a really great example, like the reason we're looking at the Thessalonians, is because Paul was proud of them. Paul was proud of who the Thessalonians had become. I mean, he says it right there that he wanted to see them because they brought him joy. And that pride of the joy that they brought him swelled up in him. And so our, our second thought tonight is a discipler is proud. A discipler is proud. Now, I want you to notice that I'm not talking about being proud of his own work. Paul doesn't say that. He never says he's proud of the work he did for them. Instead, it says he's proud of them. Proud of what they're doing. Proud of who they're becoming. He loved them. He cared for them. He encouraged them. He cheered them on because he was proud of them. Two weeks ago, we talked about what it looks like to disciple others. I mentioned that already. And that last point that I covered was to be encouraging. And this goes hand in hand because the reason Paul was so encouraging to them is because he loved them. Like, I know, it, I know it, it's distant to us right now. Like, this is distant to us at the moment because we're a third party reading a letter that was written to somebody else a couple thousand years years ago. Like, it's pretty easy to be distant, but I, I want you to see that Paul wasn't writing about the Thessalonians. He was writing to the Thessalonians. And what he was doing was telling them that he was proud of them. So, like, the type of proud that I'm talking about isn't just an emotion. It isn't just a feeling that makes you fuzzy inside. A disciple that is proud is one that actually tells those people that he is proud of them. He expresses it to them in a way that's encouraging and loving. Like, that's what it means to be proud for somebody. So I think it would be really foolish if I didn't take a minute and tell you guys how proud I am of you. Like, I am so proud of everyone that's here you fill me with so much joy because, let's be honest, you could not be here right now. It is the middle of the school year for many of you. I know some of you have finals in the next week or two, right? Or just had them, something like that. Like, there are many reasons not to be here tonight. It's getting dark by, like, the time you're done. At, like, work is getting done for me, and it's dark already. Like, it's going to get cold. It's going to get hard. But yet we have, like, 20-some people here that want to be here and they're being consistent and they want to learn and you guys are asking for relationships and discipleship and you guys are asking questions and like that's not normal especially at your age to stay consistent and not just do whatever feels right like you could just give them the easy route and you're not and I just want to say I'm proud of you and I know we as leaders we're proud of you it fills us with joy and for me like, you guys are literally the joy of my ministry right now. 
Like when other pastors ask me how things are going, like I get to brag right now. Like, oh, things are going great. Like it's awesome. We got this group of people that come and we talk about the word and we spend time with each other and we actually sort of like each other. It's cool. Like we're not forcing ourselves to be here all the time. Like that's a joy to me. So I just want to say thank you. I want, to, I want to practice what I preach by letting you know that I'm proud of you and I want you to practice telling others that you're proud of them in different ways. I want you to encourage them that way. I want you to disciple people that way, to build that up in them. Let's have a, they, they call it a flag-waving culture. I don't know if you guys have heard that before, but when I was in Chicago for worship training, one of the things we always talked about is have a flag-waving culture. Like, whose flag can you wave today? Can I pick up somebody else's flag and wave it for them? And be like, have you checked this out, what this person is doing? It's awesome. Like, can we do that more? Like, wave each other's flags as much as we can. All right. Disciples proud. Let's get back into the scripture. Chapter 3. All right. This is going to be the last one for tonight, the last point we're hitting. Chapter 3, he says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, there's that eagerness again, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. A discipler is committed. A discipler is committed. Do you see the commitment shown in this statement by Paul here? Like when he can't be with the Thessalonians to disciple them personally, what does he do? He sends someone else. Like he checks up on them. He gives them someone that they can talk to, somebody that they can ask questions to, someone that can help them if they have an issue. Like a discipler like Paul is a discipler that's committed to providing discipleship even if he can't be there in person. Even if he's not able to actually do the discipleship, he cares enough about that person and he's committed enough to discipleship with them that he's making sure they have what they need even if he's not the one fulfilling it. Like, he doesn't have to be present to be present, right? He doesn't have to be in person to be present. So where are you when it comes to your commitment to discipleship to others? I'm going to keep on coming back to it multiple times. When I say discipleship, I mean the one-on-one discipleship. I mean the discipleship of you to this group right here. I mean the discipleship of you on Sunday mornings. The discipleship of you to your best friend or mentor to mentee. Like what I'm talking about is like, where are you in that commitment to others at the moment? And how can you work on providing those things, right? Are you committed to being present in others' lives? So like when we leave here and we do these little breakout groups and we have discussion... And maybe you're not here next week. Maybe you're gone. Maybe you got something going on. Is there a way that you can continue being committed to the discipleship in that group, even if you're not there in the moment? That's what I'm asking you. Can you continue that commitment? Because if you're not committed to discipleship, there is a consequence. Look back at the, at the verse right there. We see the reason Paul desired to send Timothy, all right? Paul says, 
we sent Timothy, our brother and God, of God's co-worker in the gospel of grace, to establish and exhort you in your faith. And then he makes this line. Like this is the reason right here. He did that, that no one be moved by these afflictions. So Paul's concern, Paul's worry, is that if he didn't send Timothy, if he didn't provide that commitment to discipleship, is that the Thessalonians might fall away. That the Thessalonians might be led astray. His concern is that something would happen to them. That all the persecution would become too much for them. And that they would give up. And that they would lose heart. That's his concern. And we, we have to acknowledge it because Paul acknowledged it right here. And this is something we'll discuss next week, right? But Paul acknowledged it that there is a very real consequence to not discipling others. There is a tangible consequence to not being committed to being with others. And it, like I said, it's something we have to acknowledge because Paul acknowledges it. And we are going to discuss it next week, all right? We're going to discuss that balance because if I leave you with anything tonight, like this is it. This is the, like, if there's homework, I never give you homework, right? But I have, I do have homework for you tonight and for this week. If there's something I want you to feel, I want you to feel the tension of the fact that Paul acknowledges that people could fall away from their faith if you choose not to disciple them. And I also want you to acknowledge the tension that God is completely sovereign and in control and chooses who comes to him. Right? There, there is a balance there, and I'm not going to give it to you. I'm not going to walk you through that right now. But I'm going to tell you, Scripture says both, and it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to acknowledge that there is some very real consequence and some very real burden on you to disciple others for the sake of others. And also God is in control and has everything in his hands, right? And everybody is in his hands that he so chooses. Like there is, there is a balance there. And that's the tension I want you to think about this week as you're just like going around, as you're thinking about it, like what does that mean that I'm responsible? Like that's scary. Can you think of one person right now that if you didn't disciple has the potential like Paul sees in the Thessalonians to be led astray, to fall away, to be conquered by the persecution in their life? So I'll leave that with you. We'll talk more about it next week. We got four more points next week. We'll hit really quick, but we'll begin talking about what that looks like. But the three points, just go over them again. Discipler is eager, proud, and committed right? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your word. Uh, I ask, Father, now that you just continue to speak through us, Lord. Continue to, to work in a way that um, we can truly know that you are in our lives. Father, I ask that as we focus on what it means for um, you to be completely sovereign, but also for us to be responsible for things, that you help us find that tension, you help us think about it and discuss it. Um, Lord, your word can stand up to it. Your word can handle scrutiny. It has for thousands of years, and we're not going to change that. Um, help us find comfort in that, find comfort in you, and teach us, Lord, what it means to have a heart that wants to do these things, not just a mind that wants to change our actions. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.